Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Good morning to you. I'm Jason Kong with the pleasure to be here with Bill Alexander with W.G. Alexander and Associates. Bill, how are you doing today? Ah, Doing great. Hope you are. Jason? I'm doing your, wonderful, Bill. Your family's uh, doing well, I hope. Yes, sir. I'm better than we deserve, and uh, you know it's That's a good way to put it. It's all, yep. always fun. Glad that the uh, the rain has has gone away for at least just a little bit here. But uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it comes and goes. But this has been a weird week. Uh, you know, it's uh, started off cold, and then it got warm on us, and you know, it's been mostly rainy, and we had a few days of sunshine. So that was uh, certainly lifted our spirits i'll take the break and bill <laughs> last is, weekend was miserable <laughs> it really was well as we uh start off the show here bill i can always tell when you've got something weighing on your mind and and you 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 want to speak your piece so i'll, I'll let you do that here well i have fun with it but you know part of my job i think and i hope people take this in the right vein it is to make folks think about their future to to consider, um, you know, how do we take care of our family? Uh, What's our responsibility in in terms of not just our family, but our community, our nation? Uh, How does it all fit together? And um, I I, I relish the opportunity to talk about it, but uh, and in fact, uh, some of my comments this morning will probably make people numb because it's it, it's so easy to uh, just it, depending on what part of the economy you're in uh, as to the fact that things are okay you know uh, but you know there's so many folks who are truly suffering uh, because of job loss uh, and a sim- and then their other family suffering because they've lost a loved one you know this past week um, it was pretty sobering, uh, and it was really nice to see that we we had a memorial uh, for the half a million people that we've lost uh, this past, um, you know, this week was the week we, you know, surpassed that. And, of course, it's not over. We still have a long way to go. Um, but I wanted to, to talk about some things that I think are important for us to keep in mind. I mean— this pandemic, uh, and of course now we're we're looking, uh, hopefully in in terms of receiving uh, stimulus checks that are ex- really needed by so many people, um, and what it really is and what it really means. I mean, the fact is is that uh, since the pandemic began, uh, which is truly, you know less than a year at this point, (laughs) okay, just barely. We've been into it for about a year, but not quite. Uh, And uh, we still have a long ways to go. But the bottom line is, is that uh, in terms of our national uh, budget, we've been in a wartime funding mode. And when you realize how many people we've lost, more folks than we lost in World War I, World War II and Vietnam together, that's pretty amazing uh, in terms of what it's, I mean, it's decimated uh, this this country 
in a in a way. And it's been an invisible invader. And so, you know, there are a lot of folks out there still denying it. Oh, it's not that big a deal. And then there are other folks who are dying from it and say, you better pay attention. <laughs> so, um, but uh, it, it's scary. And of course, uh, just from a healthcare uh, standpoint, our country really did uh, manage this health crisis in the worst possible way. I mean, to the degree that um, uh, uh, the country got out of the World Health Organization, which is an alarm system for this kind of thing. We the the budget of the Centers for Disease Control, which is, you know, one of the main uh, pieces to the safety uh, mechanism in this country was significantly cut. Um, I mean, and of course, uh, how would you have known that it was right before a huge health crisis would in fact occur? But the fact is, is that uh, those uh, budget cuts were made at the at the absolute worst time that it, they could have been uh, made, uh, and then uh, the the health crisis was ignored for months and months. And you know, any doctor will tell you that prevention is <laughs> is a whole lot uh, better than trying to uh, treat the disease in a hospital or in an ICU uh, unit. I mean, so. Uh, we really did, uh, as a country, uh, get it backwards, unfortunately, as a healthcare crisis. But uh, other than the the fact, but I want to talk about a different crisis that is clearly related to the pandemic, um, and and in essence, to me, this is a cancer that is slowly growing. And at this point, for at least half the country, uh, it's asymptomatic. In other words, it's there, it's growing, it's getting worse, but we don't feel it yet. Um, And that's particularly true of of those of us who are, you know, we have our jobs, life is good um, for us. Other than the fact that we're frustrated because we can't travel, we we have to take cautions, we have to wear our masks, uh, we're we, we're excited about the fact that we've gotten our vaccinations, <laughs> and, and the like of it. But there are a lot of similarities to the fact that this is a a wartime situation for us, and with an invisible invader because. And there are folks out there who says, I, I don't want to be vaccinated. And that's a real shame because it hurts all of us when there are families that don't want to be vaccinated. Because the vaccine is really our body armor, if you get right down to it. It, it help, It's not, it, it, not fail-safe. It's not totally protective, but it it makes a huge difference in giving us a great deal of more protection. And the more folks that get vaccinated, then eventually we will win this war. But it it's going to take efforts from all of us. But again, that's not what I really want to talk about. I want to talk about the fact that hopefully in the next week or two, people are going to receive uh, another stimulus check. And, and that, of course, is I'm very supportive of that because, again, 
this is a wartime situation, uh, and it's more important to our country in so many ways that um, this huge stimulus is is done. But it at the same time that it's needed, and why is it needed? It's it's needed because there are an awful lot of folks out there that need help, financial help. And there are a lot of small businesses that hopefully this will give um, a, a Band-Aid to them so that they can stay afloat. Um, uh, there's so many small businesses that are suffering. Some have gone out of business. Many have gone out of business and won't come back. But those that are still in business... You know, people do suffer through wars, if you will, and and we're all victims of it. Um, but it's also to to stimulate and prop up the economy. That's also a big part of it, and that's so that the folks who aren't suffering won't suffer anymore, as far as that goes, in terms of of revenues and the like. Uh, the, it is important that our economy is strong and the fact that the stimulus will actually help. This is what the economists are saying, that the stimulus will help our economy and that it will help this country get back on its feet so much faster than if we don't do it. But there's a dark side, and that's the, the dark side is the part that I want everyone to keep in mind. And this is something that I've talked about before, but um, there are a lot of situations where uh, you have to understand the dynamics of it and what it means that we need to do in the future to stay ahead of this cancer, if you will. And so what does this package mean? I mean, just in the past year, and this has been bipartisan, Republican and Democrat, have supported stimulus this past year. And guess what? We've spent, overspent, in other words, spent more money than what we've taken in in the budget, what, in the last, um, uh, you know, in the last 12 months, anyway. Uh, how much have we spent? Overspent. Somewhere in the neighborhood of four to five trillion dollars. Okay, so what does that do? That increases our national debt. But it's also important not to lay blame on Democrats or Republicans. You know, the the Tax Act that we have right now, that my expectation is that we will see changes, some this year, uh, probably more next year, uh, as uh, the government fo- focuses on the problem that we're talking about, uh, is that the tax act that we currently have was intended as deficit spending. In other words, Congress knew that it would significantly increase the debt. Uh, And so it was intended that way, and it was intended that way in such a way that this was before the pandemic, the tax cuts were sunset. In other words, it was a temporary tax cut, so it was intended that our taxes would go back up because it was intended to stimulate the economy, and it was, in fact, deficit spending that was – and, of course, uh, Republicans did it. Democrats went with it as well. But it, the, the fact is is that 
that was deficit spending uh, and intended for it to go back up. At least it was. The only thing that was not intended to go back up was corporate reductions. Well, that the corporate reductions will probably be the first taxes that go back up, and my expectation is that'll happen this year because uh, they, they are very, very low. Uh, and if you don't tax one, that means you have to tax individuals even more. And so what it boils down to is where our crisis is going to come is a future crisis. It's not going to come this year or come next year, but it's the difference between short-term thinking and long-term thinking. And so for those who have children and grandchildren, what you're doing is you're basically putting a huge burden on your children and grandchildren. Because life is not going to be the same for them as it has been for you. And this is what I want all of us to think about in terms of what's the long-term solution. And I know I'm going on and on, and I'll I'll cut it off so I won't make you so mad at me (laughs) that you'll turn this off. But I think it's important for us to understand what the solution is, and and it's not going to be an easy one. So anyway, I'll let you take your break, Jason. Well, thank you, Bill. And, you know, it's uh, not something that's fun to think about, but it is important to understand the perspective and some of the challenges that we'll have to face down the road. And we need to factor that into our planning. And we're going to get to some other planning topics as well that deal with asset protection. And we'll do that right after this. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. And we will be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. You can find more about him online at WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. That's where you can schedule an appointment to speak with Bill. You can also register for Bill's free monthly seminars. You do that by going to WGALaw.com and clicking on the Seminars button. These are two wonderful seminars that deal with the topics of long-term care assistance as well as asset protection and trust planning. They are free to attend, very educational and well worth your time. Just go to WGALaw.com and click on that Seminars button. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander and Bill, you know, we're going to get to some estate planning issues, and one of those has to do with, you know, making sure we have a, a trusted individual when it comes to making our plans. That's true, too. But let's, I want to get back to what I was talking about, and I'm, I want folks to think about, well, what is the remedy uh, for what's, what, what we've created over the last uh, several years. And it's, it's not just because of the pandemic. The pandemic has simply ju- it just made it three times worse very quickly. And that is, where do, where do we go from here? Well, first of all, we have to win the war. We have to uh, uh, win the war with the pandemic. And I'm an optimist. I think that that will probably be close to have, have being won, if you will, by the end of this summer. Um, it, it won't be completely over, but I think the worst of it will be over. Uh, once the economy is back on its feet, uh, and what does that mean to me? It means that things are back to near normal, the way it used to be. But I, I don't know if it will ever be completely back to the way it used to be, but hopefully close to that. 
Well, once that occurs, then the only long-term remedy is to have a balanced federal budget. And that basically means to spend less than you take in, because if you don't do that, you'll never reduce the debt, okay? So the point I'm trying to make is that while I know that this overspending today is absolutely essential, it's exacerbated our debt uh, even far worse than what I was talking about uh, before to where it now takes our country to what I call the breaking point. All right, now why do I say that? Well, because of so much overspending in the past year, bipartisan spending, Democrat, Republican, when it comes to spending, it doesn't matter whether people call themselves Democrats or Republicans, everybody's responsible for the overspending. It doesn't matter how you cut it. Uh, And we've been in a deficit spending all the way back uh, since after Bill Clinton. And whether you hate him or love him, Bill Clinton was the last president to have a balanced budget. And And it was bipartisan. I mean, Gee whiz, when was that the last time we had anything bipartisan? (laughs) So, you know, you have to give credit to Newt Gingrich, Republican, Speaker of the House, and you have to give credit to uh, the president, Bill Clinton, back then, because they actually created a balanced budget. And then that stayed in effect until George W. Bush was president, and then he started the country started overspending again. And we've not been back into a balanced budget for twenty over 20 years at this point, Republicans and Democrats uh, being president. Last year might have been one of the worst years for it. Uh, but the bottom line uh, is that the just the interest payment on the debt next year will probably be over 10% of our national budget, 10%. Now, you have to put that in perspective. That's going to be uh, getting close to every penny we spend on national defense, which is 15% of the national budget. And you have to understand that's twice as much money as you spend on every all the money spent on Medicare, all the money spent on Medicaid, way more than we spend on any kind of uh, relief uh, for the neediest in this country or for uh, foreign aid or any of those kinds of things. It would be the second most expensive thing in the budget after the national uh, defense. In other words, everything we spend on defense. And now, here's the scary part, and this is why why it's at the breaking point. You're talking somewhere close to 10% if interest rates stay low. Because what happens? I'm only talking about repaying the interest. I'm not talking about the principal. You can't get to the principal unless you're underspending how much money you have. So guess what? If interest rates go up, and of course we know they're going to go up – towards the end of this year with inflation. We're already seeing signs of inflation. So guess what? If the interest rates go up, 
that automatically increases how much we have to pay. So if in, depending on how much interest rates go up, that 10% could easily become 12, 13, 14%. Well, guess what? Now you're spending money, you know, the a, a big chunk of our budget is going to to pay debt which is doing no one any good. In other words, it's not helping anybody. It's just paying uh, our creditors who own our bonds. So what I'm saying is, is this country, when you're talking about the debt being that big of a percentage of the national debt uh, or of the national budget, you got to get it under control because it's our children and grandchildren who are going to end up paying it. So, Jason, you're a young person. This should be something that is important to you. And guess what? The cure is something nobody wants. And what's that mean? It means spend less money and raise taxes. And that's a dirty word to so many people. But the fact is, is that you're not going to be able to, you have to do both at the same time. One without the other is not going to cut it. You can't raise taxes enough to get to a balanced budget. You have to do both. So we, the, the folks who are running this country, once we get past this pandemic, have to come to some senses that a balanced budget has got to be in our near term rather than up the road somewhere. Uh, and a balanced budget doesn't reduce the debt we're paying because all that does is it keeps it from growing so guess what? We need to be starting to pay the principal back sometime in the near term, but you got to start with a balanced budget. And I know nobody wants to hear that, and when people hear about raising taxes, and, and I mean, that makes everybody mad, you know. If you you know nobody likes the idea of making cuts, you know everybody wants to spend more and more and more, and nobody acts like they should have to spend another penny on taxes. So, just saying, folks, this country's at a breaking point right now. The cancer that's growing is the national debt and the interest that we're paying. So we're asymptomatic; we're not feeling it. But it's growing, and it, and if somebody doesn't take the bull by the horns, it's gonna it the country is gonna fail from within. You know, it's it's the reason the Soviet Union fell. Uh, it's the reason that that countries that like ours over the the centuries have fallen. And and we can't – I mean, we should learn by others' mistakes, if you will, so that we don't fall into the same trap. That's very well said, Bill, and it's something that we all need to pay attention to, no matter uh, how unfun it may be to think of and how scary it might be. But you're exactly right. It's uh, a growing problem and something that we need to v- take very much seriously as we continue to – do what's best for the country and for our future loved ones as well. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation right after this. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Find more about him online at WGA Law. 
www.wgalaw.com, wgalaw.com. Don't forget, you can register for Bill's seminars happening on Wednesday, March 10th. We do this the second Wednesday of every month, and you can register for free online at wgalaw.com. Or you can call 919-256-7000, Bill, I, I jumped the gun last time, but now we're going to get to discussing, you know, picking a fiduciary or a trusted agent when it comes to estate planning. Absolutely. It and that is actually one of the very most important issues for families with estate planning. Because uh, frankly, uh you can have the best documents in the world by us, of course. <laughs> <laughs> But if you choose the wrong agent, the wrong fiduciary, the wrong person to actually help you uh, at those times where you need assistance, and almost all of us have times where we need assistance, if you pick the wrong person, you've got a terrible situation. Now, if you have bad documents with a good agent, a good fiduciary, then you'll at least be better in better shape than those who have perfect documents and a bad fiduciary. So picking the right people is the critical decision in estate planning. I mean, all the other things are important too, but if, like I said, this might be the most important decision that you make. And for some folks, it might seem obvious. For others, not so much. Um, I mean, just just uh, I mean, the the knee jerk for for the great majority of us is, oh, well, we'll just appoint our spouse, no problem. We can depend on our spouse. Our spouse knows us. But then there are other issues. Number one, what if our spouse dies first before we need help? Then who do we turn to? What if uh, this is the second or third marriage, and we have children that are that have expectations, if you will, and the spouse, of course, has expectations as well. It, it, should we appoint our spouse to serve alone, and how much authority should be given under those circumstances? Well, again, it depends on the spouse. It depends on the relationship. It depends on. How long have you been married and how well, you know, is that, how good is that relationship? You know, think about the fact that um, uh, there's no marriage that I'm aware of that's perfect, <laughs> okay? There are lots of divorces so uh, in, in this country. Um, I'm not going to say they're 50% because it's probably a little less than that, but the fact is that, that their divorces are very common. Um, and so is the spouse always going to be the perfect choice? Well, hopefully the answer is yes, but the fact is is that it's not automatic. It's Sometimes it's better to appoint two people. And if you have children by, by a, a different marriage uh, and you haven't been married that long, uh, and it might be that you are better off with co-trustees where your spouse and a dependable child is a co-trustee where they have to act together. But there, the question is, how do you choose a fiduciary? And in estate planning, you have a number of fiduciaries. For instance, 
you create a financial power of attorney. In fact, I preach about that because seniors typically don't have a good financial power of attorney. They have one. Almost everybody have one. I mean, there's a lot who don't, and, and those are in the worst positions. But those who have one don't have what they need when they uh, after retirement and they get into their senior years. And th- this is something that I talk about all the time, as you know, because it's the one document that allows people to do asset protection planning when they need to do it. Um, and any power of attorney is better than none at all, but there, you have to understand that power of attorney can be – they come in all shapes, sizes, uh, flavors. You know, every attorney does them a little bit differently. And uh, elder law attorneys tend to do what seniors need. Other attorneys do not, unfortunately. So that's just the way it is. Then you have a different fiduciary for health care. Should it be the same person? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, it depends on those circumstances. You, you pick an executor to administer your estate when you die. The dynamics for that are a little bit different as well. If you're young like you are, Jason, you have children – and you you need to figure out a way to substitute for you and your wife. Who's going to take care of your children? Who will be their guardian? Who will be their trustee? The financial side, you know, and it may be the same person, but it might not be the same person. So the question is, how do you choose the right person or persons to do these various things? Well. All right, let's start with the general durable power of attorney, your financial power of attorney that authorizes another person to control your assets, manage your assets, invest your assets, and spend your money, hopefully how you want your money spent. Okay, so first of all, is there potential for abuse? Heck yeah, you got it. I mean, I just I just read an article uh, in a national magazine about a very wealthy lady who was being taken advantage of by her two grandchildren who were financial advisors for a big broker dealer. And and we're talking multi-millions of dollars of financial abuse. Well, obviously, and this was a 93 year old, very lucid lady. When she found out what they were doing, she got P.O.'d, if you will. And unlike most people, she actually sued her grandchildren and the broker-dealer and and eventually got all of her money back and, and the like. And the grandchildren lost their jobs and were – and should have because they were stealing from her. Now, does that happen? It happens more often than people realize because children can be greedy. Grandchildren can be greedy. Sometimes – your your children are anxious for their inheritance. They want their money now instead of later when you die, you know, that sort of thing. So you have to be not – I'm not putting all children in that category, folks, those that don't go there. I'm just saying that it's something that you have to gauge in terms of the integrity and the honesty and the needs of your children and grandchildren as well as your spouse because this is the critical decision. And let me tell you, there is a lot of elder abuse, financial elder abuse, where people, uh, not just children, 
uh, sometimes it's a, even a spouse, but it, it's more often children and grandchildren or friends when you don't have them who do in fact take advantage for their own greed. Uh, and so, like I said, there are things you can do to put it in place, but you know, there's some folks that just automatically say, my spouse first and my oldest child second. Is that a good idea? Not unless your oldest child or your spouse are the right people to have this responsibility. Because there's some children who are be great for you, but totally undependable when it comes to administering your estate fairly to all the children. In other words, you first, but them second. <laughs> so that's another one that you have to 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 uh, and, and so, uh, you know one of the factors is are you, with the financial is your child um, good with money are they spenders or are they savers uh, you know it's and that's you know typically a trait that you can determine when they're three years old or at least five anyway because <laughs> it doesn't seem to change but the fact is are they good money managers are they dependable do they know how to invest. Because that's completely different than what you're looking for in a healthcare agent. Um, so, uh, and of course, are they reliable? Will they do what you want? Do they understand what you want? You know, those are f- factors that go into it. With healthcare, it's, uh, and, and some people say, oh, well, my daughter's a nurse, or my son's a doctor, or my daughter's a doctor, and that's who I should have. Not necessarily, because actually, doctors and nurses typically have very strong feelings about how healthcare should be administered, which may not be consistent with your own. Well, North Carolina, whether it's a whether it's a financial power of attorney or healthcare power of attorney or any other fiduciary, our rule is that the fiduciary that you appoint should do what you would do, what you want done. That's rule number one. And rule number two is to do what's in your best interest. So Will your agent honor your wishes and do what you want or do what's in your best interest? And if they're not likely to do that, then they're not a good agent for you to appoint. So with health care, of course, you uh, you basically want a person who would honor your wishes. And they, they don't have to have any understanding of finances or money management or paying bills. They just have to be somebody that cares about you and would make decisions consistent with what you want it done. I realize you're looking at me, so we have to take a break. But there are a lot of other fiduciary things that I want to talk about before I leave this this uh, session. We will get to those. And don't forget, if you want to schedule an appointment to Bill, as we have discussed, this is a very important decision and one that requires a lot of thought. Make sure you have the right guidance along the way. Schedule an appointment to sit down and talk to Bill. Go to WGALaw.com. There you can do that. You can also call the office as well, 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. 7,000 or online at wgalaw.com. And that's also where you can register for the seminars happening on Wednesday, March 10th. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Find more about him online anytime at wgalaw.com. 
WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we're talking about the important decision of picking a fiduciary or an agent when it comes to estate planning. Well, okay, so we've talked about the general durable power of attorney, the financial uh, power of attorney, and the health care, but what about choosing an executor for your last will and testament? Well, I, I mean, some people, when it comes to those first two, the financial and the health care, they uh, one thing, one criteria is proximity. I have one child that lives here. My other children live in California, whatever, you know. And the point is, is that proximity for your general power of attorney and your health care power of attorney is not necessarily important. It really comes down to those other things, good financial management, someone who – or in the health care side, uh, someone who is likely to uh, agree with how you feel about health care decisions. But when it comes to your will, proximity does matter to some degree. Now, if you don't have the, a person who has the integrity to do things right, to share with everyone the way they're supposed to in terms of making decisions that's fair to everyone, of course, that is a personality trait you want in an executor. But it also helps if you have someone like that who is local. Why? Because when you die, somebody needs to be responsible, and uh, and it helps to have someone who lives in North Carolina, and it helps even more if they live close by, because typically there are a lot of things that have to be done fairly quickly in terms of taking care of the home and the possessions in the home to make sure that it's secured and to make sure that it's distributed properly and and actually taking care of those things sometimes is the biggest mess for every family the rest of the stuff can be relatively easy uh, but it also helps when you have a local uh, executor um, because uh, sometimes the executor can do everything without an attorney if you have somebody out of state they're going to have to hire someone as a professional either a CPA or an attorney to handle things uh, and also to uh, service of process is, you know, when somebody <clears throat> has a claim, they have to know who to send it to. So you have to have somebody local for that. That's just part of how it works. Now, you don't have to, but it helps. Let's put it that way. And it also saves money to typically have someone local rather than someone who lives uh, farther away or out of state. Um so um, proximity can matter, particularly for will. It matters less for health care and, and financial. And then you end up with, uh, do we choose a friend because we don't have any children? Uh, well, then you go back to the mantra of that if you had children, you would tell them, choose your friends wisely. <laughs> you know, who you, who you pal around with is a re- reflection on you. We tell, our, we tell our children that, don't we? So, uh, But it's important. For you to understand that, too, because if you don't have the right friends, you better not be picking them as your agent or you're, you're just asking for trouble uh, in terms of being taken advantage of. So sometimes a professional, you know, whether it's an attorney or CPA, is a better choice as an agent or as a trustee. But not all professionals will do that. Sometimes you want um, a, a professional trust um, 
a professional trustee or a corporate trustee. You know, the banks have uh, uh, trust departments. Uh, the state employees credit union has a trust department, or they, they have a trust company that helps their members uh, at a reasonable rate. Um, the, and for those who have special needs children, there are corporate guardians that are very responsible and not expensive. I refer folks all the time to the Corporation for Guardianship. They, they're statewide, even though they're headquartered in Greensboro, do a great job for special needs uh, children. So those are all the some of the now there's also more than that into it but these are the kind of things that people need to think about sometimes having two people serve gives more protection than having one person with complete discretion so just depends on the circumstances of your own family and make sure you have guidance along the way that you're making the right decisions and understanding the options that are available to you. If you want to get a hold of Bill, schedule an appointment to speak with him. You can do that by going to WGALaw.com, WGALaw.com, or by calling 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. A quick break and back with more of this is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Don't forget, there's still time to register for his free seminars happening on Wednesday, March 10th. Be sure to go to WGALaw.com and click on that seminars button. It's free to register, free to attend. These are in the form of webinars. You can do it from the comfort of your own home. All you need is a computer or a smartphone with internet access and an email address, and you're good to go. You can attend either one or both of Bill's seminars. The first one dealing with long-term care assistance. You can learn about Medicaid assistance and VA benefits. You can also in his other seminar, learn about asset protection and trust planning, many of the topics that we discussed in the second half of today's show. You can register for both online anytime at WGALaw.com. Just click on that seminars button or give the office a call 919-256-7000, we got to get out of here. We're out of time for today, but we hope you will join us again next weekend for Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Have a great day.